Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. So hi and welcome to today's podcast. Today we're talking to Saskia Bujo, a relationship and sex educator. So welcome Saskia, it's so lovely to have you with us. Hi, thank you for having me on. Very much our pleasure. Um, so we met on Instagram, you are at Facts of Life Ed on Instagram, but you also have another Instagram account, my goodness, <laughs> you have a lot to manage there. <laughs> Very confusing. Which is at this period in my life, and we'll talk a little bit about why you've got two Instagram accounts um, a little bit later. Um, and the topic really for this podcast is going to be all about periods and period poverty, something which Claire and I are just so excited to talk about with you. So um, shall we get going? Yeah. First of all, I mean, I think to get going, if you could just tell us a little bit about you, the work that you do, and what led you to work in the field of relationship and sex education. Sure, sure. Um, so, so nice to be here, first of all. Thank you for having me on. Um, so I, I started teaching in 2012. So I was teaching in primary schools. Um, so I've been working with young people since then. Um, and then once I'd had my second daughter, I realized I wanted work that was a little bit more flexible. I didn't want to work um, full time. And I'd had my children through IVF due to endometriosis. And so it was at that time that I really started sort of trying to work out why I'd left it so late before realizing something was up with my um, menstruation with my own health, with my reproductive health. And I realized that actually my sex education had been pretty poor. Um, and it happened to also be at the same time that there was a lot in the media about young people struggling with, um, with, with uh, navigating social media. And there was talk of a new relationship and sex education coming into schools. So I just thought, I'm really passionate about this area. I'm really interested in finding out also why I sort of suppressed all the symptoms of endometriosis that were sort of staring at me in the face. Um, so I retrained. I found a course in relationship and sex education. I retrained. And then I started essentially cold calling schools and saying, are you up for some workshops? Um, and and yeah, it, the ball started rolling, and that was five years ago. And so I'm now in a position where I teach two-thirds of the time um, young people in primary and secondary schools in relationship and sex education alone. Um, and in one particular school, um, I noticed that there was essentially what's now known a lot of period poverty. Um, and it was particularly one girl that I will never forget who said to me that she had started bleeding internally and she'd gone to A&E the previous day. And she had no clue that this was a normal bodily function that was part of her journey through puberty. She, she took herself to A&E. Oh uh, she lived goodness. with her dad. Um, she had no informal input at all on periods. 
and she had no formal input. And she isn't the last girl that I've met that is absolutely clueless in the middle of their teens, you know, 13, 14, about something that is going to happen over the next few decades. And I was so, and you know, as a, as a teacher, as a parent, you can't just switch off at the end of the school day. You're really impacted by these stories. And the head said to me, we need to offer more what we called period drop-in sessions. And so uh, these sessions got really busy. And he said, can you put a, a leaflet together so they can bring something home? And I started writing and I just couldn't stop writing. And I ended up writing a whole book. <laughs> Um, which is now the book that I published, which is called This Period in My Life. So I've given you a really long-winded story, but it's really the merging of all those things, of this girl that I will never forget, uh, my own infertility story. It is a personal thing, but it, it massively gives me the drive and passion. Um, and then now I've got three girls. Um, so we need to be talking about this stuff at home. We can't talk about it enough. And yes, there's a there's a curriculum now, but still not enough. Wow! Wow! That's incredible. <laughs> that was actually really quite emotional. You've already ma- nearly made me cry. Well, I'm kind of surprised <laughs> yeah. you hadn't cried, Bex, because I was even I feeling know. emotional. And normally, if I feel emotional, you're normally blubbering. <laughs> yeah, I know, absolutely. But it's 2022, and we're still looking at these sort of things. And we're in the UK. I live in. The, the richest borough in London, Kensington and Chelsea, and there is period poverty in this borough. So, you know, and we think about period poverty as being something financial, and it's not. It's about lack of education. Right. Because I was just about to say, what is meant by that term period poverty? What does it... Because I'm going to be completely honest, I would have probably thought it is about that kind of financial side and being able to buy sanitary products mm. and things like that. So what exactly is meant by that term? Mm. So it's it's two things. It is the the lack of um, access to products due to uh, not being able to afford them. Um, and when Plan UK, the organisation that did the study uh, that that diagnosed period poverty in the UK in 2019, that was when the term came about. The government then launched a scheme to give schools a budget to essentially have enough products in school to um, ensure that every girl who menstruates can come to school and have her menstrual needs met. But years on, we still have period poverty, which tells us that the money the government threw at the problem wasn't sufficient. It's, it's the shame, you know, it's, it's the lack of understanding. It's, you know, many schools I work in, the products are there, but the young people aren't going to wherever the products are because they might be locked in the school cupboard in the school nurse's office. It's We need to address the shame issue. Um, you know, the, the, the issues around blood um, are so connected with, you know, pain and wound and war and negativity we're not, we haven't been able to reframe the blood conversation. Um, so the narrative is still around, you know, the fact that blood is associated with, with negative, it has negative connotations. So the first thing we try and do in schools now is say, 
this is good blood. This is healthy blood. This is normal blood. This is part of you moving into adulthood. This blood, and this is why boys need to be included in the conversation, is this blood is the reason why you exist, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, that's the ball that needs to start rolling now. And, and so the government pledge was fantastic news. Um, but, you know, I'm still going into schools and meeting girls who don't know that there's products in the office next door to this classroom. So the, the, the schools claimed all the budget and, and filled, the, filled the school with products, but they didn't spread the word. They didn't say, um, do you know that you have a right to products here? Do you think that's because from the kind of teacher perspective, they don't actually know how to approach the topic? Or I think there's also possibly a real sense that like parents would tell their children or that children will tell each other or that it just becomes one of those things that everybody just knows about by how, I don't know. But is it is it just all of those things together that are creating this kind of we don't need to do it because it'll be done by them and it'll be done by them and it's sort of everyone just assumes that someone will say something yes i think if if whoever's running the school doesn't acknowledge that period poverty links is linked to their absenteeism if they don't recognize that then there's not going to be any motivation to work on it on a whole school level um, the best the best heads are the ones that have done, you know, huge assemblies and gone. Um, these, we've diagnosed period poverty, uh, so we've got this budget to try and address it in the school. So this is where your products are. Uh, you can leave the classroom if you need to access these products. Um, we want to talk about periods in this school. Um, but then there's also the issue of obviously teacher training and Still today, teachers aren't being trained in relationship and sex education, still today. So um, it, it really is almost down to someone in a school who is really passionate about the issue to make a difference. And then in a classroom, I will try and pick out also the students who, who don't care who knows they're on their periods. They're not going to hide their tampon up their sleeve. And, and those are the students that... I'm trying to use as to create a sort of ripple effect, um, but it's there's still just a lot of shame in a lot of people not wanting, um, you know, from from the, from a, from an from an angle of, of pure naivety, um, not wanting anyone to know that they're on because um, they've leaked or they've stained on their chair or. It's uh, it's it's the last thing in the world that they ever want to know has happened to them on in a public arena. I remember being at senior school and we actually had very light summer dresses. So they were kind of very light blue and white and they were long skirts. They were be- it was a beautiful uniform, but absolutely awful for girls when they were on their periods because... It, they were basically pretty much see-through anyway, which wasn't great if in the wrong light. So you always had to wear kind of light-coloured pants and those sorts of things. And when you're on your period, all you, and I remember sitting in lessons thinking, I hope I don't leak. I hope, I don't like, I, yeah. I hope it's okay because I don't want to stand up. Yeah. And, you know, this happens and you'd always know because we'd all tie our jumpers around our waists just yeah. in case. 
and it's mm. it's the and I and now thinking about it it was just and obviously I had access to products I knew about periods and all of those sorts of mm. things but gosh it was a horrible feeling to constantly be thinking like that and I had the products and could access all those things for girls who don't know and don't have that it must I, I can't how do you concentrate on mm. your education if you're panicking yeah. about that well especially as some schools I know that my children's school they don't actually it's very difficult to be let out of a lesson yeah um you know um and so actually if you say can I go to the toilet unless you've got a toilet pass no you can't and so for somebody who is particularly heavy needs to change very regularly that's a nightmare um and is wrong i mean should every school have those products so all state schools in the uk are entitled to claim uh, for free period products right so if you if anyone listening works mm. in a state school you can contact an organization called phs group and your school will be on the register and they will have worked out the budget depending on the number of menstruators essentially in your school building so for instance a primary school will obviously have a much smaller budget because they are looking at year four five six possibly menstruating but the budgets are really ample and they also have been worked out to cover the school holidays so some schools that I work with at the, on the last day of term actually hand out a pack of menstrual pads in a little brown plastic, in a little brown paper bag, so that they can go off. And it's just a, that messaging is just, you know, we got this for you. Here you go. Your needs are met. Um, independent schools haven't got a budget, but they should be aligning with this pledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are great organisations. One amazing one is called Hey Girls. And they do things like buy one, get one free product. Um, they've got a great business model in that sense. So um, there's there's no reason why you shouldn't have um, products in schools. Okay. I mean, I yeah. went to boarding school and um, I was t- telling Claire about this before. I always remember um, on our list of things that we had to take to school, we had to take um, pads and a sanitary belt how old am I? <laughs> but you had to take them regardless of whatever, you know, what had happened. So this was one of the things that you had to have. But honestly, you know, I mean, nobody told me what my mum was like, a sanitary belt. I mean, even she was a bit like, that's very old fashioned. Um, but, you know, when you went to school, nobody talked to you about it. No one told you what to expect. It was all down to friends. So I was saying to Claire, I remember one of my friends outside telling me how to use a Lillette because I had no clue um, what to do. I didn't know. Nobody really wanted to use pads because, like Claire said, the summer dresses, PE, all those things were, you know, it was just really hard and swimming, you know, I mean, everything just was was horrendous. And I just think that that was God we're talking you know 40 years ago um 35 40 years ago and it doesn't sound to me like a lot's changed and that's crazy that you know it can still be so that such a lack of resource and um education and knowledge around it it's awful yeah i think 
four, five years ago, um, I would agree that not much has changed. The ball has started rolling. It's just taking a little bit of time. I think mm -hmm. schools are still trying to... Yeah, they're still acknowledging this period poverty thing. Um, some schools are working faster than others. But what's really helped is the new curriculum in relationship and sex education, which makes the menstruation lesson compulsory from year five and six. And it includes boys in the conversation. Okay. Yeah, it's still only two or three hours a year. You know, it's not huge, but we really make the most of that hour. So I, I taught, for instance, a lesson yesterday. We had all the boys and girls in for an hour doing the science of the menstrual cycle. And then the second hour, we had smaller groups and we were literally putting tomato juice on pads, dipping tampons in cranberry juice. Oh, you know, brilliant. we we really make the most of it. It's got to be practical. And, and everyone's just so thrilled to be able to talk about this in an open space, in a safe space. Um, and also just learning words like vulva, which some of them have never heard before, still many, because obviously we're only just starting to use this word, and that's now statutory as well. We're all getting on the same page, slowly but surely, working out that we've got three holes in our vulva. You know, we need to like really talk about the factual bits <laughs> with more certainty and in a more sort of unanimous way. Um, so there is good work going on, and now... You know, the pledge from the government's one thing, but also you can see in pharmacies, there's a lot more organic cotton products. Mm -hmm. There's more accountability for firms using plastic. Um, the language is changing. We're talking more about menstruators and people who menstruate and, um, you know, uh, yeah, not, not so much about sanitary, which is um, perpetuating a bit the idea of periods being dirty. We're talking about health, menstrual health, not menstrual hygiene. Um, so there's, yeah, language is changing a lot, and I think that there's good work happening. It just, it needs constant attention to get it to where we need it to go. Yeah, I actually heard um, there was a conversation on a programme the other day about the fact that supermarkets are looking to change the naming of the aisles, so where you go for your products. They're changing it from female hygiene products, I think, to period products and it was so interesting because it was a, like a panel talking about it and some of them were like yeah that's perfect great and then there was others that were like no it doesn't feel right very and contentious topic yeah. it is and really interestingly one of the panel members said I don't want my you know I don't want to be walking in the supermarket with my son and him see me get my period products as such and I'm thinking why why wouldn't mm. you? Because actually your son will come into contact, whether it's friends, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's mother, sister, you know, aunt, whatever it might be, they're going to come into contact with it. So surely they should mm. know about it and it shouldn't be a something that is hidden and not talked about or only talked about by women. Um, mm. And it was just so interesting that that was still a conversation of, or well, we don't involve the boys. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, um, in secondary school, there's, there's periods just get weaponized um, by boys and demonized as well, all those things. So 
we, we've got to catch it early because they are so curious. You know, we, we took out the, the tampons in what looked like sweetie wrappers in yesterday's lesson. And one of the boys said, oh, my mum uses those. <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> and then we, they, we each gave them um, a, a template on if they wanted to sew their own reusable menstrual pads. Because obviously young people are so environmentally aware nowadays. They don't want to create waste. They want to save the planet. So we're talking a lot about the period pants, the reusable pads, uh, cups, and so on. And so I gave the girls the books and, and the boys, I gave them a template if they want to take it home, give it to someone they know who, who menstruates, who they live with, and they could sew their own pads. And they were, they were so thrilled. You know, I was showing them all these beautiful patterns and they're just curious. And they, at some point, um, sort of see this, this, um, monthly bleeding as kind of a little bit of a superpower. Once you reframe it and you're like, actually it's the same amount of time as it takes the moon to travel around the earth. Um, and so they, they see it as really being linked to nature in the end. We start talking about the phases of the cycle being like the seasons. Um, and they, they really start seeing it for what it should be, which is just a normal part of growing up. And then the reason that life is created is due to the menstrual cycle. And it becomes, yeah, they sort of, something clicks and, and they suddenly feel um, that it should be celebrated. You know, not everyone wants to celebrate their period, but, um, but the boys who can disconnect slightly from all the, the mess, <laughs> um, which also needs to be discussed, you know, and the pain also needs to be discussed. It's not all joy and um, but yeah, the boys are curious. They want to know. And the more we can talk about it, the less it will get weaponized later. So can you tell us a bit more about the book? Because it would just sure. be really useful to know who it's aimed at. Yes. So the book is essentially two things that I've put together in one. Um, one is um, 17 different chapters dedicated to um, informing teenagers on what on earth the menstrual cycle is um so there's a chapter called periods in history which talks about all the different products throughout history including sanitary belts um, <laughs> and then uh, you know the, the first person to invent menstrual cup things like that so there's some history in there as well um there's another chapter called free periods which is um what all the activism that's happened um, over the last sort of decade around periods, um, including tampon tax being abolished and free products in schools and so on. But the first few chapters are crucial because they are really about what's going on. You know, how much blood are we losing? Um, how um, how it's going to feel? Um, what products can you use? How to use them? It's a bit of a manual, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and within those chapters, lots and lots of illustrations. I was just so aware when I was writing it that these kids are going home with text and text and text to have to read for the next day. And I thought, I need to chop this up. I need. So I found lots of what I'd call menstrual activists on Instagram. And I've got about 30 different artists who have provided me with images for the book um, and really powerful messaging from art. Um, so in all the products, there's fantastic drawings of cups and flying pads and period parties and things like that. Um, and the second part is a journal with tracking charts to begin to track your cycle. 
Um, and the, the message from the charts is really about if we can begin to know how our cycle's working, then we can be better prepared for how we feel. That's sort of the messaging um, mm-hmm. from that. And we can see it from, you know, toddlers. If they know what's happening, we, we know what they're, we can be better prepared for what's going to happen, then it's less of a surprise. Um, and we can sort of blame how we feel on our hormones as well. Um, so, yeah, two, two parts to it. And it's yeah, 172 pages, I think, um, in the softback book. And, yeah, it was published in July 2020. And I'm looking at a, a second edition, actually, at the moment now. So, oh, brilliant. So would you yeah. recommend it for parents to buy for, yes. um, you know, ch- and carers to buy for, child- you know, their children? At what, what kind of age would you recommend that you know, people start to think about buying it. Yeah. Um, so I say for tweens and teens. So, again, it depends. Um, I think when I was writing it, my eldest was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and she definitely was reading parts of it, and I was reading parts of it to her. But we are, I appreciate, quite open about everything, and we've been talking about periods for a long time. But I would say on average, yeah, eight or nine Mm-hmm. Um, because girls are getting their periods from age eight now, so it is younger. Um, and again, preparing—it's about preparing them for the next chapter. So we're trying to do it ahead of it actually happening. Um, so I would say from eight or nine. But then a lot of schools who are getting the book for their pupils, um, especially during COVID, where obviously we weren't in lessons. Um, they were purchasing them from year five, six, and seven. So mm-hmm. that sort of age range. Okay. Yeah. Lots of godparents buying it as a gift, grandparents, things like that. So that's so, yeah, that's so really lovely, lovely messaging. Yeah, isn't it? And I think, you know, schools engaging with that and actually giving, giving girls and boys something to go away with so that they actually can remember and actually can read it on their own perhaps if they just want to and then go back and it can be used as a discussion topic and all of those sorts of things can't it so that's so great and you you were talking about hormones so we we kind of like we do blame things on hormones and we do kind of you know if somebody's a bit grumpy you know it's a bit like oh you've got your period kind of thing you do on sort of thing but do we need to consider how we talk about these kind of things? Do we need to consider that, you know, perhaps we need to be a little bit more positive in the way that we are talking about how we feel? <laughs> yeah, um, it's a really, really good question. And yesterday we uh, started the lesson and one of the questions that I wanted them to think about was, can someone tell if I'm on my period? Because that's what a lot of um students worry about can someone tell and that is because precisely what you said Bex is um oh is that are you moody because you're on or are you due and again it's sort of weaponized and I think students find that really really upsetting um and I think this is really strongly linked to just a conversation around consent and also acknowledging feelings um so I think it's really it's really two things because in a way we want young people to be able to say, do you know what? Yeah, I am on, um, I'm fine. I'm struggling today. And that openness hopefully 
and that vulnerability hopefully won't leave them open to being wounded even more. We want to create that atmosphere where there's empathy built from being open. Um, but a lot of young people are just not at that stage where they're willing to, to be, show themselves to be that vulnerable yet. And so when it's said in that sort of accusatory tone, you know, are you due or is, are, you, are, you, are you on? Is that why you're moody? It's, um, yeah, it's, take, it's taken it's taken sort of offensively. So there's, there's still a lot of work to be done around that. Um, and so when we're in the classroom, we try and do scenarios. So drama is really useful in, in trying to create that empathy. Um, just simple dramas, you know, for instance, you are in the classroom, you see your friend has stood up and there's blood on the chair, what do you do? And so we recreate um, scenarios where we try and, yeah, create empathy around how that person might feel if they knew they had leak on their dress, like you were saying, Claire, what would you do? And one of the boys yesterday said, I just gently stand up, offer her my jumper to put around her waist and say, and say, there's a little bit of blood on the back of your dress. Oh, and we were, yes. and the teacher was saying, if that was my son, <laughs> I'd be the proudest mum in the world. Mm. Um, and just, yeah, being aware of, also, that's why the seasons are useful, because we were saying if we're in our winter, that's when we're bleeding. Are you crying, Bex? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> and just using those symbols as well from nature to say, do you know what? I'm in my autumn. I know my winter's coming. I'm feeling mm. rubbish. And being able to, to use those analogies um, to be more open about it. But like you said, if if leaving the classroom is difficult, um, then we're, we're never going to be able to talk about this openly. So we speak about that in the class and the form teachers are always with me and we always ask the question, can you leave the classroom? Um, and where are the products in the school building? You know, we've got to get down to mm -hmm. what the, your menstrual rights are. There's a chapter in the book on that. You are entitled to this, this, this and this. So we need we need to yeah create activists as much as people want to be activists. Not everyone does, um, but also we need the support of the school staff. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm <laughs> not I think it I, is. Is that I get whole? So emotional talking about this. It's so like like the teacher said. You would be incredibly proud of any child being that sensitive to another child and being able to support them in that and that you know even if that child grows up and does that a couple of times that will make such a difference to the individuals that he supports and it's it's huge isn't it it's I always remember though there was this big thing that you always wanted to get your period you go through a stage at school and everyone's like have you got yours yet no and some people even lied about it and were like yes I've got it and you're thinking, and you're going, <laughs> for years after, you're like, why did I rush to want that? <laughs> it's <Yeah. just> <laughs> so, but it was that real big thing. It was like a kind of coming of age scenario for a lot of girls. It was like, yes, I've, you know, I've got my period. And then you get it and you're like, wow, this is years of, and, you know, yeah. people, mm. some women really have, really difficult periods and I you know and 
it is really unpleasant and that you know the pain and things like that I remember when I first started periods and I don't think I ever expected to have stomach ache in the or period pains obviously you know as I did and it was a bit of a shock I'm gonna be completely honest and it was like mm. oh whereas now it's very much okay you just know the signs and you're like I know my body so much better and I know yeah. when and you notice all the little signals but it took a long time because I just don't think it was something everyone thought of it was just you just went along with it whereas I think we're much more empowered yeah. to know our bodies as we're older whereas actually they should know yeah. it much as 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 young as possible because it definitely helps mm-hmm. yeah kind of I think the hardest thing from what I observe in the classroom uh, from from students is not knowing when um, and the message that we're really trying to get across about puberty generally is that it will start at a different time for everyone and it will grow at a different, and it will move at a different pace for everyone. And therefore, again, this is about celebrating diversity, the fact that we're all different and trying to bring it back to the fact that it's the most self-conscious time for young people, despite the fact that we might talk about it very openly at home. We've never been more self-aware of our body changing and then all the emotional stuff going on, all the hormones and everything. I think the hardest thing for them is, yeah, this sense of, I really want my period. And then I can always tell the ones in the room that have their period because they're like, <laughs> wait, you wait. <laughs> they're like, just you wait. <laughs> you know? And they're the ones that talk about the cramps. They're the ones that talk about the pain, about the leaks. The others are like, well, I've had discharge for a few years, so when's this thing coming? <laughs> you know. If you if you are a carer or a parent, what kind of things do you need to do to get ready? I mean, what do you? Because obviously we're talking, and you know, not all schools are lucky enough to have people like you go and visit. You know, and you know, some of them don't have that preparation. So, what do they? What should they? A parent or a carer who's got a child who they think, you know, potentially is reaching the age, what should they have, you know, like actually practically, but also what should they do to talk about it? Mm. I, mean, I, I think the most powerful tool is modelling. And if you are a parent and carer who menstruates, your cycle and your bleeding is the most powerful source of information for any young person learning about periods. Um, and we know that just because of the way we learn. We learn so much through observation and we could talk till we're blue in the face, but actually it's what we do that, that makes such an impact on young people. So, you know, um, yeah, not, not hiding not hiding your cycle, not also hiding the fact that you're uncomfortable, acknowledging the fact that you need a hot water bottle, you need an early night, you need a hot bath, you've got to soak your white jeans, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> you know showing all of that and normalizing it really i think what we need to do is try and normalize it so modeling is is the first thing i would say if you are a parent and carer who doesn't menstruate and you're trying to prepare your your child then um there are some amazing books and and i know i've written one but there are so many amazing books on periods for teens now um what i wanted to do was write a book just about periods not about everything and there are lots of books like like that now available just on how to, you know, there's a great one out by Chella Quint called Own Your Period, a great one called Just Period by Natalie Byrne. Um, 
and just going through the different steps um, and then maybe also buying one of each different type of product and getting practical at home and showing them how it works um, because it's, yeah, it's not obvious to them at all. So I would say, yeah, getting, getting practical and ensuring that we can be just really approachable as adults in terms of our, ki- our kids should be allowed, should be in, you know, should be able to come to us with any questions. You know, there's no such thing as a silly question when it comes to, can I wee with my tampon in? Um, my daughter asked me yesterday, and I just thought, it's a great question. And so we started talking about how many holes we have and when the urine come out. Or so, you know, trying to work out, trying to get her to work out that she doesn't, she wouldn't need to eventually. But yeah, really just being able to talk about the body openly, um, without sending messages of, actually, we don't talk about this, or we don't talk about sex, sex is a dirty word, and all those conversations. Periods is, you know, we should be able to talk about it openly, given it's such a natural bodily function. Having said that, not an obvious one to talk about um, for everyone. So I always just say, use the books, get some books, leave them lying around, just ask them, what do you think, you know? What do you think about this page? Or um, my mum used to do that. She used to leave books lying around on the toilet seat, you know, or whatever it was in my bedroom. What kind of products would you naturally kind of suggest starting with with girls? Because obviously, you know, we now have period pants, we have reusable pads, all those sorts of things. Like, what would you say is the kind of starter pack as such? Mm, mm. Um, well, for practical reasons, we always suggest disposable pads are great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and in yesterday's lesson, we were talking about how we can be prepared as much as possible for our periods. Um, and also how it's not like when we need a wee or when we need a poo, we can't hold on to a period. It's just going to come. <laughs> it's not going to wait around. You know, our, our, our vaginas aren't built to hold to hold on to so we need to be prepared um so always having a little disposable pad in your school bag um and also knowing where the product is at school but at home just uh, keeping a little pack of disposable pads and then i find children are just yeah as i said so environmentally aware it's good to be able to think about the options around reusable pads they are so beautiful nowadays um, young people are really interested in using reusable pads, but the issue around them is that they obviously require more time to look after and manage than just being able to roll it up, plop it in the bin. Um, and in class, we have to talk about how you change it, how you store it until you can wash it, and then how you wash it. Um, you know, there was a there was a really interesting study where a lot of reusable pads got sent to Ghana because we thought that will address period poverty. They won't need to use disposables. And there was so much, um, there was such a lack of information around how you managed reusable pads that they were being used, washed, and then due to not wanting to hang them in public, they were just being dried underneath mattresses um, and then just got really moldy and stuff. And so it was a complete failure. Um, So despite all the goodwill in the world, sent out all these pads, um, the reusable pads, um, got them communities to start sewing pads. We need to talk about all the steps 
around where you're going to dry them. Some young people don't want to dry them in their bathroom at home. They don't want, you know, so we need to address all those steps. Um, period pants are brilliant. Um, teens really like them for nights um, because they're snug, they're comfortable. But again, we need to talk about the management of it. Well, and sometimes they're not actually um, absorbent enough to take yeah. the amount. I think that's the problem that I've, you know, heard about yeah. is that, you know, actually sometimes they need to wear the pants and they need to wear a disposable pad because it's just not enough. Yeah. The pants, um, we were saying in class yesterday, one, one of the students pointed out that they're good for the last few days mm. when you haven't got a really big flow and you're just, you know you've got those few drops and, and when you think you're done and then two days later you're like, actually no, it's still here. <laughs> I've still got a few drops left and I've just ruined my knickers. Yeah. Um, so they're good for that, that time. Um, but yeah, we work out over time, you know, is it worthwhile financially investing in a reusable product? How much are you going to save if a packet of pads is five, six pounds per month of disposable pads versus an eight to 12 pound reusable and you need a couple of those? You know, we work out, we do the maths. It, it turns into a maths lesson. <laughs> um, but they need to, to think about that. And then an internal product is always about when they are ready, if they are ready. And at some point, that swimming gala or the gymnastics lesson they're going to feel pressure to use an internal. Um, and then it's about just sort of instructing how to find a, a space that's comfortable, that's private, um, how you will not get it in the wrong hole, how to trust your body, how to know uh, when it's full. Yeah, there's, there's so much to discuss. Um, and yeah, the book goes into a lot of detail. Because I think things like menstrual cups, which technically should have erased or period poverty or waste or excess financial costs menstrual cups have been marketed very very quickly but there's very little actual education on cups and we look at this thing and we think how on earth am i going to get this in yeah. <laughs> you know it looks like a mini wine glass am i going <laughs> to put that inside me how on earth will that work so we yeah we um we talk about that a lot in class as well but but I mean, how blessed are we to have this choice now? Mm. Um, you were saying the sanitary belt, that's all there was. Um, mm. I know for one generation anyway. So it's nice to have choice. And I think the point of these lessons is to make them aware of a choice, a choice that where they can be um, more health conscious, go for a cotton organic, more environmentally aware. Um, and then there's a financial aspect too. Saskia, this has been incredible and just so interesting. I feel like we could just keep on talking and I know that we're going to have you back to do some talking about sex education and another time, but thank you so, so much. Can you just tell us where people can find you? Um, I think we mentioned it at the beginning, but perhaps yeah. if you could just do a bit of a recap on where they can yeah. get the book, etc. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm on Instagram. All my uh, sex education ranting is done at factoflife.ed and then all the period work is um and all the book work is on an account on instagram which is at this period in my life don't ask me why i have two accounts <laughs> um but anyone who wants the book um can go to my website um which is saskiabujo.com 
and um, I've actually put together a little discount code for your listeners, which is Teens15. So that's T for Tango, E-E-N for November, S for Sugar, 1-5. And that will get um, um, anyone who wants the book 15% off. So it'll essentially save on postage and a little bit more. <laughs> oh, that, thank you. That's really kind of you. So, yeah, that's wonderful. And we'll put all of that information in our show notes. Thank you so much. I've loved that it's chat. It's lovely to chat. It was so informative. Yeah. It was. It was great. Who'd have thought you could talk about periods for so long and still think there's more to talk about? It's amazing. Absolutely. I know, I know. We can never stop talking about periods, can we? Yeah. No. It's good to have the space for it. They, they deserve it, right? definitely yeah absolutely thank you thank you so much thank you Beck. thanks Claire that's everything for today thanks for listening if there's something you'd like us to talk about we'd love you to get in touch and let us know find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bespoke Family or head to our website the links are in our show notes make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear We're Bex and Claire, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Teen and everything in between. See you then.